The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome. You might be listening live in the Seattle area on 1150 AM KKNW, on TransformationTalkRadio.com, or on Facebook Live on my professional page. Um, you might be listening after the fact on one of the dozens of podcasts that sends up, or on my YouTube channel. We're getting we're getting uh, videos up to the YouTube channel after the shows are done now, thanks to Kyle. But wherever you're joining us from, whenever you're joining us from, we're going to have a good conversation today. Uh, and I want to say hello and thank you to the people behind the technology, Benny at KKNW. Hi, Benny. Hi there, Christine, and it's good to be back. Sorry I missed you last week. Oh, well, I missed you too, Benny, but um, I hope you were doing something fun. Uh, well, for the most part, I traveled a little east to Montana, visited some of my girlfriend's family for some events. And uh, other than that, that is a wonderful looking little crystal you have behind over your right shoulder. And oh, it's not I little oh, if oh, everyone's oh, oh, watching. Wait, wait. Oh, oh, here we go. Wait, wait, <laughs> it's got a light in it. Yeah. Shut the front door. <laughs> That's amazing. You need to leave it on. Yes. Okay. I will. All right. Will. Thanks. And Jacob, is that you over there? That's right. How are we doing today? Good. Thank you. Thank you for doing all that you're doing behind the scenes and getting the video to us after the fact. Oh, of course. You know, folks, if you've been following me for any length of time, if you've been listening to my show, you know that I have a penchant for um, those who question beliefs. In this era of political correctness, where you have to worry about what gender pronoun you're using, or with certain health situation going on with the phrase, follow the science, when in fact you're not allowed to explore it, disagree with it without getting censored. Um, in this era when so much of what we hear on the news, even in, in journals reporting science, relates to industry relates to money same thing's true in our, our political situation so the question becomes do we just accept these background belief systems or do we start to question them and you know my answer to that and our guest today is one of those people who is bucking against the system in a variety of ways our guest today is dave champion he's a former army ranger he's got a law enforcement background in the private sector, Dave is a businessman turned journalist, and he hosted his own radio and television show for, oh gosh, nearly two decades. He's a physiologist. He's got a doctoral degree in, in political philosophy. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And he's got an extensive background in legal studies. In other words, he's been interested in a lot of different things, and he's taken deep dives into all of them. He's a public speaker. He's got several books out. Um, and he has focused a lot on um, our United States Constitution, the Second Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the 16th Amendment. Um, 
and he's a former martial arts instructor. And his latest book is called Body Science, the new 21st century understanding of how your physiology really works. Leave the myths and lies behind, get healthier than you or your doctor ever imagined and avoid chronic disease. I would like to welcome our guest today, Dave Champion. Hi, Dave. Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me. You know, Dave, um, I'm so frustrated with the state of so-called science. I know that there are a lot of people out there researching, including people who have trained in the subjects and gotten higher degrees within the context of the subjects. But oftentimes it's, it's I, you know, I've seen the research side of things. You have to be following the existing narrative to get funding for research. And if you are questioning the existing narrative, then you don't get the funding. Um, and so we're, we're kind of in this stagnation place where there's a lot of attachment to keeping the narrative as it is. And there's a lot of resistance to anybody who questions it. Now, I know that you have in your, the past, you have questioned things about um, our United States taxation, um, and you're busy questioning about how our bodies work and what it means to be healthy and how to avoid chronic disease. Tell us a little bit about your background that has led you to this, this place of questioning, of bucking against the system. Okay, thank you. <sighs> I was a part of the system, as you showed from my bio. And, you know, I, I was raised to believe that judges are good people and attorneys are there to help you and the government is our servant, right? I was raised with all of that and I, and I believed it. And when I went into the private sector, uh, probably like a lot of people, uh, business people, I hired an accountant, kept him on retainer. If an envelope said IRS on it, I didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> I would hand it off to the accountant. I didn't want to know about that. I had my business was my area of specialty, not income tax. And one day I walked into the bank and when I got to the teller window, I, I knew the people well, the teller started crying. And I said, what's the matter? She said, I had to give them the money. What, what are you talking about? Well, the IRS had levied $32,000 from a payroll account. And so I immediately wow. went right, immediately went to the accountant who was on retainer. Again, being ignorant on the subject matter, I said, what, what the hell is going on here? Mm -hmm. And, oh, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And turned out he was the wrong person to have. But nevertheless, with a law enforcement background, I understood that under the Constitution, you can't take somebody's property without due process of law. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the fact that somebody at the IRS literally pulled a form out of their desk, wrote some stuff on it, signed it, had their supervisor sign it, and then sent it to the bank and they could take my property, I, I knew something had to be wrong. Yeah. And so that started... Uh, well, as we sit here now, 30 years of research, right? And one of the things that I learned <clears throat> is that what was wrong when I say something had to be wrong was my understanding, and that's representative of the understanding of the other 333 million Americans. Uh, my understanding was wrong. I, I had, just like I had been taught to believe that judges are good and lawyers are there to help and the whole, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I had also been taught that if there's a society narrative, it's there because it's true. Right. <laughs> and 
So that Sorry, was my I'm upbringing. Laughing. So I, suddenly, I, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly, I had that ripped away from me when I found out that the United States government has knowingly, willfully, and intentionally been committing the largest financial crime in the history of the world, uh, which I detail in Income Tax Shattering the Mists. I show I break down the law from 1895 forward in a very easy to, uh, way to understand that every single person can grasp it. Um, but nevertheless, I, I had that all ripped away from me. And from that moment forward, I could never quite look at any establishment narrative the same. Because my, my concept was, if the very framework of the land in which I live is willing to engage in sophistry, out and out lying, um, willing to put people in prison in order to sustain a false narrative and thus commit the largest financial crime in the world, then what else is there going on like that, of which I was un previously unaware? Okay. Mm -hmm. So oh, okay, that so became my new paradigm. Okay, so I'm really curious, what, like, can, in, in a nutshell, I know that we're, the focus is more on the, the, the physical well-being, but I'm curious, in a nutshell, what, what is it that the United States government isn't supposed to be doing relating to taxation that they are doing? They're not doing anything that they shouldn't be doing, except promoting a false narrative and everybody's buying into it, Okay. Um, and they're using the court system, they're using the Department of Justice, uh, tax division, and so forth, to punish. Uh, well, there are people who think they owe the tax and don't pay it, and of course, they're going to be vulnerable to that. Um, but the government over the last 30 years has made a, cons uh, a, a consistent effort to punish anyone who comes out and says, wait a second, this narrative is false, and let me explain to you why. Mm -hmm. um, but the actual tax law, th this is something I... I it's, it's difficult for a lot of people to grasp. The statutes are absolutely constitutional. The regulations are absolutely constitutional. The treasury orders, the treasury decisions, and so forth, same thing. Except it's so complex that while all of that, we're talking millions of pages cumulatively of data, okay? While all of that is impeccably constitutional, since people cannot make heads or tails of that, the narrative is completely unconstitutional. And, and the narrative is, if you're a U.S. citizen living in one of the 50 states and you get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, get the kids off to school and go off to work and earn a living, that you owe the government money. That narrative is 1,000% false. That is not what the statutes say. It's not what the regulations say. Um, for instance, regulations come from treasury decisions. That's sort of the migratory path. Okay. So uh, treasury regulations, there's uh, off the top of my head, I can probably think of about eight that talk about who is to use a form 1040. In every single one of those, it says it's to be used by non-resident aliens with domestic source income. There is not a single regulation in existence, right? The, the income tax became operative in 1913, right? Regulations started being written from that day forward. So here we are, what, 107 years later, 107, 108 years later. Uh -huh. And there's not a single regulation in existence that says an ordinary American citizen living and working in one of the 50 states earning his or her own domestic source income should use a form 1040 or any form at all. 
There is no regulation in the history of the United States that says an American citizen, as I just described, is intended, should fill out any income tax form ever in all these years, more than 100 years, not a single piece of documentation from the government says that. Interesting. And yet the narrative is what? Oh, yeah, we we have to fill it out every year and it's due April 15th. By the way, I haven't filled one out in 30 years. So does that mean you don't pay taxes too? I pay tons of taxes. I just don't pay taxes that don't apply to me. Um, So for instance, starting probably 20 years ago, Uh I started reaching out to politicians, to the IRS, to the Treasury Department, Department of Justice Tax Division, uh, you name it. I started reaching out to them and I said, look, I, you know, I haven't filed in 10 years and I haven't paid in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm doing something wrong, now is the time for you to point. Remember, we talked about that 100 years plus it doesn't exist. Right. Now, is t- now is the time for you to pony up. If a document that says an American citizen getting up in the morning, doing my thing, earning a living, earning my own domestic source income, right. now is the time for you to tell me exactly where you say in authoritative documentation that I owe income tax that I need to file a 1040. By the way, I'd love to see a regulation, if you don't mind, that says that a person such as me is supposed to use a 1040. Of course, I know these things don't exist, but I started reaching Uh out and saying, this is the time to pony up. You know, don't don't try and take me to trial or do any of that crap, because I'm asking you right now where it is. Because if you can provide it, then I'm wrong, and I'll start filling out returns and paying taxes. Well, here I am 20 years later. Interesting. Now, oh, Dave, can this I say is... one thing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's a thousand wrong arguments out there. I want to be very clear about that. I, you know, chapter 14 in the book details, it's called um, The Good, Bad, and the Mistaken is the name of the chapter. Okay. And it talks about some of the most prolific, inaccurate arguments as to why people don't need to pay income tax. So I, I want to prepare your audience. If they just go out and start looking for an argument against paying income tax, mm-hmm. there are so many bad ones, inaccurate ones, that they're probably going to get into trouble. So, and, and the only real argument is the law, yeah. what the law really says. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I like to come on here and inform, and, and I'm only a little tiny part of why I'm here is to pump income tax, shattering the mist. But I do encourage people, please look at everything you want. I'm, I'm all about that, right? Look at every piece uh-huh. of research you can find. But please don't act until you've read income tax shattering the mist, because I don't want people getting in trouble with arguments that are not valid. Absolutely. And uh, Dave, that's just for my own, uh, to satisfy my own curiosity, I had read that once upon a time, the taxes were supposed to be paid on profits and that um, the, the earnings that workers made weren't considered to be profits it was like a fair exchange but if you were selling something that you had bought at you know wholesale price and then sold it for something higher then you were supposed to be paying taxes on that and somehow after world war ii that that kind of like shifted without any legal change is there is there any basis to that well the court has said the supreme court has said on a number of occasions that what constitutes income for the purpose of income tax is profits separated from capital. However, there's a more fundamental level, uh, and I explain this all in the book, that because of the constraints 
built into the Constitution as to what the, the, the limits of the federal government are, which is entirely different than the uh, jurisdiction and authority and power of the states, right? It's, it's, right? States have general authority. The government has tightly constrained by the boundaries of the Constitution authority, yes? Mm-hmm. So when we take a look at something like that legal argument, the profit is, is the gain separated from the capital, mm-hmm. we have to go to a fun, more fundamental level that the United States income tax has only been imposed on three classes of persons. U.S. citizens living abroad with foreigner income, foreigners in earning U.S. source income, and foreign corporations earning U.S. source income. So you notice, whether it's a domestic corporation or whether it's you or I, earning our own living here within the 50 states. And again, I know this sounds incredible to people who may be hearing this for the first time. Uh, And it's all laid out exactly what Congress said, what the secretary has said all through the last 100 plus years, that the income tax doesn't apply to people like you and I. The law refers to that as a class of person. Um, And and the classes, there's only three classes that, that Congress has imposed the income tax on. Fascinating. Fascinating and disturbing when you realize the largest financial crime in history is, and and it's all there plainly to see. That's that's uh, something else that, you know, I wrote income tax shadiness for this reason. Uh At the 17 year mark of my research, 17 years, I said, okay, so how many people are willing to, first of all, have been fortunate enough to be in the position that I was in that I could do that research, number one. Mm -hmm. Secondly, even if they were in that position, how many have the tail feathers to go out and do that? No yeah. kidding, yeah. How many people would think that's even worthy of their time? You know, we only have so much time on earth. How many people are gonna think, yeah, let me give 17 years to this thing, right? Uh-huh. I realized very few, like probably measured on my hand, <laughs> would follow my footsteps, okay? So I said, mm-hmm. I have to do something. And that something was to write a 408 page book called Income Tax Shouting the Mist, which distills the kind of things we're talking about today down to something that every single American can understand. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm just going to show a copy of the book real quick. Oh, probably backwards. here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a thick book. It's a, a lot of people have described it almost like a, um, like a mystery, uh-huh. like, like a whodunit. Because as you go through, you find out more and more and more and more about the lies, the sophistry, the, the mm-hmm. intentional uh, concealment of the truth. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. it's both yeah. fascinating and disturbing all at the same time. Yeah, and for me, over the last year and a half or so, um, I've, I mean, I've been in alternative healing since the early 2000s. So I've known that there is conflict between big pharma and the truth, you know, from my perspective. <laughs> And I also worked in research years, you know, decades ago, and I know how the system works. It's like, if you follow the narrative, then you get the funding. If you don't, you don't get the funding. So, um, but the past year and a half, I've ended up taking a much deeper dive. And I've realized that so much of what we believe as a society, as a culture, um, and as human beings is manipulated, controlled for somebody else's interest and not true. So it's, 
every little step of the way, it has been mind blowing. And yet once you start to face the fact that um, things aren't as we have assumed them to be, you know, taught as, you know, that they are truth, it becomes easier and easier to open our minds to new possibilities because we realize we need to relearn a whole lot of stuff and we need to explore it and find out on our own. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, th- I think the SARS-CoV-2 event for the last 19 months. Uh-huh. And be careful what you say, because we can get kicked off of YouTube and it can not going to say anything controversial yep. um, yet. Uh, it's been disappointing to me to see the percentage of Americans that they tune into mass media. They get the establishment narrative. Uh-huh. And they say, oh, truth. Uh, and of course, as you know, especially over like, say, the last six months, uh, the amount of information and data that has come out mm-hmm. uh, that thoroughly, thoroughly undermines the establishment narrative, uh, it's, it's really disappointing to see so many people. I mean, I, I get it. If we go back to like April 2020, you know, people were afraid this is brand new. Right. So yep. They were hearing stories often exaggerated of people dropping dead in the street, you know, the whole thing. Right. So I yep. understand why people maybe uh, were desperate for information and were willing to accept what the mass media put out. But here, as you and I are talking in August 2021, there's absolutely no excuse for anyone who is diligent or intelligent to not understand the establishment narrative is crap. It yep. is it is almost almost entirely fabricated. Right. And, and that is probably the most audacious thing about it. It's not, you know, the established, established scientists have a perspective, and then there are these alternative scientists who have a different perspective. We're talking about people who have been in the established science for a long time, who've been screaming for, from the rooftops for more than a year, you know, Nobel laureate, who has, who said things, you know, that it, it is fabricated and it is dangerous. I mean, there's so much information out there. And yet with the censoring, with the mainstream media narrative, there are a lot of people who don't have access to the separate information. Yes, they should be able to find their way to it. But it seems like people are just, they, they want to stay in their comfort zone. And so much of this has been um, kind of created based on fear. And I think about, I, I think about the the taxation situation too. It's like, how many of us want to risk questioning that and, and bucking against the system? Because you know the IRS is scary, right? You know, oh, we have I a lot hear of it fear. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I wonder. I have wondered many many times over the last eleven years since Income Tax Shadow was published. Um, I've wondered. I wish I had a counter that would tell me how many people have declined to read it simply because the very idea of becoming educated in that subject terrifies them. Mm-hmm. And to me, again, I guess this goes back to my upbringing. That's not being an American. Right. You know, that's not being a founding father uh, type yeah. person. That's, that's being a sycophant. That, that's, well, mm-hmm. you know, overused phrase, sheeple, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, like you say, there's fear is so tied up in the rejection of even being willing to consume 
alternative information. By alternative, I don't mean alternative like alternative medicine <clears throat> that had some of it's good, some of it's not so good, right? Some of it's valid, some of it's not. Uh, we're to only talking about alternative from the establishment narrative. Yeah. So somebody says, well, wait a second. The establishment says X. Now I'm afraid to look at Y. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm disappointed in my countrymen. I, I, I am too. And for a long time, I thought, you know, as a former research statistician, you know, I used to design and analyze clinical trials. I've co-authored articles in peer-reviewed medical journals. I know how to read these articles. I did deep dives. I've probably spent, you know, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 hours over the last year and a half. And even talking about this thing that people put on their faces, there's so much evidence that it not only isn't helpful, but it, it can be detrimental to a person's health. But oh my goodness, oh my goodness, just even suggesting that to, you know, as somebody you know who believes in that, it's, it's kind of like you're threatening their religious faith. Or oh, absolutely. I've got a video you might want to take a look at my YouTube channel and find it. It's called a pro mask equal science denier. Okay? And I didn't even get into all of the studies because uh -huh. uh, this video came out maybe three months ago. Uh, so we were well past the need for science because we could simply look at objective statistics. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, because as you well know, for every credible study concerning the efficacy of masks or lack thereof um there there was a contrary study existing now suddenly in the last 19 months right right but so i wanted to stay away from that and help people understand so what i did is i compared locations with mask mandates where they had nearly 100 compliance mm -hmm. then locations with no mask mandates right. and i showed that the trend of the virus was the same <laughs> in all locations. And, sure, I, and I pointed sure. out that if, you, that if a mitigation measure is applied in locale A and applied in locale and not applied in locale B, and they have the same exact outcome, then right. clearly the mitigation measure was not relevant. And then I, I reverse it and talk about how then you take, the, you take the measure away. You had it in place, you take the measure away, and the adverse of what you claimed would happen and as a statistician i know that um that's association not necessarily causation Absolutely. and but here's the thing the you know as somebody who took 22 graduate courses in mathematical statistics and saw this cutting edge, edge research you know decades ago that that indicated mathematically proved that the only way with uh research study to show causality is through randomization. And there have been numerous randomized control trials, including one that's looking at the current virus and the thing on the face. And the evidence is just incredibly clear, really clear statistically, that, that you know, they're, they're, it doesn't help. And yet um, people have great attachment to it. You know, I really want to get into the the physiology and um, your deep dive into health and chronic illness. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for more with a fascinating day of champion here in just a few moments. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections with a Stellar Reflections Minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelmed and stressed? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. To signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is, 
Sometimes all that is needed is a nice, deep breath to break the cycle. First, exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice, full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there. But when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here in KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area, TransformationTalkRadio.com around the world, and of course on Facebook Live. Um, I'm talking to Dave Champion fascinating conversation. I'm sure we could talk for hours. I love the fact, Dave, that you buck against the system, not for the purpose of bucking against the system, but because you are a truth seeker and you don't allow your exploration to be modified based on an existing narrative. So more power to you. You wrote a new book called Body Science, and it's it's interesting because um, it too bucks against narratives about health and well-being. What led you to this particular research? I was in the gym one day. And by the way, I should say I had been gaining weight. This is going back several years ago now. I was gaining weight. <clears throat> now, I couldn't understand why. I couldn't diet it away and I couldn't work it, work it away in the gym. So I'm in the gym one day and I look across and I see this figure and I said to myself, is that Sean? Nah, that can't be Sean. Because if that was Sean, that's half the man he once was, right? He used to be very uh-huh. obese. Suddenly he turns around and oh my gosh, it, it's Sean. <clears throat> so I went over there, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said, what, how did this occur? So he starts telling me about this thing called keto, right? Mm-hmm. And He's telling me he eats 80% fat and so forth. And of course, being completely ignorant of the subject matter at the time, I'm listening to him and I'm thinking in the back of my head, oh, come on, I wasn't born yesterday, right? Anyway, but I'm looking at these results, yes? Right. The guy had lost 100 pounds. And so I got home and I told Jan, I said, look, I just had this very weird experience at the gym. I'm going to start researching. Of course, she knows what that means. I'm going to be absent for weeks. (laughs) Uh, anyway, I did. I started doing the research. And the, my first year of research was, is this true? Okay. Are people eating this thing called keto? Um, and are they dropping weight? My, my second thing was, is it, is it safe? Is, 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 are you going to get sick and die? Something like that. Okay. 
So I did about three weeks of research. Every day when I was done at work, I'd spend three or four hours doing the research. And I, about three weeks later, I told you, okay, the, the conclusion is, yes, it's factual. This is a universal outcome. And it, it appears to be safe. If we want to do this, nothing bad is going to happen. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, that was the beginning. But I can't, my personality type is I can't just rest there. Okay? I need to understand the why. Okay? Uh-huh. Why is this happening? What is the underlying science of it? Mm-hmm. And thus started a year plus of, honestly, obsessive research, right? Because that's how I get okay. with research. I cannot mm-hmm. stop until I reach that point where I understand the subject matter through and through. Okay. Yeah, you and, you and I have that in common. <laughs> okay. So you know what I mean, right? Yes. It, it, yeah. So eventually what I found out was that the vast, vast, vast majority of what's been put out by the government, Mm -hmm. by organizations like the American Heart Association, the American Diabetic Association, literally since the late 50s, early 60s, virtually everything they put out is scientifically inaccurate, Mm -hmm. Um, at least the things that matter, okay? And then you, you, I couldn't help but notice as we look at this time frame, okay, from like say 1960 forward, we look at the events and the narrative, that, that mm-hmm. word again, right? That the narrative served not the, the American people, the narrative served three primary entities big food, mm-hmm. big med, and big pharma. Every single falsehood they put out over 50 years, which was virtually everything they put out, (laughs) uh, it all profited those three entities. And then, of course, I went and I did further research, and I found out some of the biggest investment houses, some of the biggest uh, monetary funds, uh, some of the wealthiest people in the world, they're all financially involved in all three of those. Mm -hmm. So they make, individually, they make hundreds of millions or billions of dollars from big food, which then takes the people, the, the, the injured, the victims, to big med. Mm-hmm. And then as they're sitting in the office of big med, big med calls in big pharma right. to solve the problems that were created by the lies in the first place. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so really what caused me to write body science was the same reason that I, I had to write Income Tax Shattering the Myths. So I said, okay, so the amount of time effort and, and cognition, you, you have to be able to make sense of what you're looking at. You talked about of that course. a little bit ago. Um, I'll tell you a quick story in a minute about reading research studies. And so I realized I needed to explain this all to you, how, the, how human physiology really works, okay? What really happens when you put a particular kind of macro into your mouth? What happens in the intestinal tract? How does it get into the blood? Does it go to the lymph system? How does it get into the cells? Does it go to the liver? And if it goes to the liver, what happens when it goes to the liver? And unless that was explained in a way people could understand, the Uh lies, just like the income tax, the lies were going to continue. Right. So body science is my laying it all out, how how the human physiology really works. And the the end purpose of this, Uh whether people choose to act on it or not, okay, now they're going to know the truth. So from that moment forward, when when they close that final page of body science, they will never, ever, ever, ever again be able to be fooled by the establishment because they'll know how their body 
truly functions as far as things like nutrition and metabolism are concerned and disease. It's interesting. I've got a, a brief story about big food. Um, when I worked as a research statistician, I've worked as a statistician in several industries. I worked with another statistician who used to work at probably the biggest food company in the industry. And she said that um, they had a, an entire division called the food additive division. And it was so secretive that they had armed guards at the entrance to it. You had to have a special pass to get in there. And she said, these food additives were designed to make you crave more food in general, crave certain foods in particular, and also to um, gain weight. <laughs> so it's- I'm not yeah. surprised. <laughs> Sorry, I just said, you know, I had to share that story because it was so shocking to me as a statistician, because really with statistics, you're trying to find- you know, truth in data, if, if you're doing your job well. And so um, to, to hear about that kind of manipulation, and of course, there are statisticians, you know, supporting that aspect of the industry, it's just incredibly disturbing. Okay, so can you share one of the, the lies or misconceptions that we've been taught about how our bodies work relating to food? Sure. I, I think probably one of the ones that I'm so tired of hearing, and it's so prolific, is your body weight is controlled by calories in, calories out, okay? Right. Absolute falsehood and has been proven false time and time again in studies. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's and probably perhaps more injurious than that. Saturated fat causes heart disease. Right. Okay. Um, saturated fat is incredibly helpful. Uh, and a quick story that, people will find in more detail in body science. Um, Ansel Keys, um, who most people today don't know who he, who he was, uh -huh. um, but he was a household name back in like the sixties and seventies and eighties. Mm -hmm. And he came up with this <clears throat> hypothesis that saturated fat gives heart, creates heart disease. Right. And when he did his research in Europe, we far too late after the fact, we found out from his research assistants that he would have entire communities fill out questionnaires. And if the questionnaires didn't support his hypothesis, he would throw it in the trash. He would throw them in the trash and tell his research assistants they lied. Okay. So we found out decades and decades later about that. The other thing we found out later was that his research was financed by the sugar industry. Okay. So what was happening was people were starting to talk about and question whether <clears throat> America's growing um, proliferation of heart disease and heart attack, which back in the 60s was seen as traumatic, right? It's like, yeah. oh my God, that was the big thing then. Oh my God, older men are, are, are they're getting heart disease and they're dying of heart attacks. That was a huge uh -huh. issue. So people started to wonder if it was actually the sugar. So the sugar industry's way of fighting back in the late 50s is they funded Ansel Keys. And he went out and he eventually produced something called the Seven Nation Report which hung the whole thing on dietary fat, most specifically saturated fat. The whole thing was a lie. He knew it was a lie. Um, he was paid uh, to give his paymasters the product they were purchasing, which was a lie. Mm -hmm. and, and then he got it. He managed to get his way. He took his information to the American Heart Association. They said it wasn't credible. 
So then he worked his way onto the board of the American Heart Association, then brought his Confederates in and had the American Heart Association flip and say that his concepts were valid. Okay. Then after that, the United States government gave it their blessing and said, yes, now it's valid. And Mm -hmm. and the whole thing, and we found out after the turn, just five, six, seven, eight years into the 21st century, when some decades long studies finally came to fruition, that there was no evidence to support any of it. And incrementally over that 50 year period, understanding research, you'll get this, uh, for a macro theme to be true, certain micro things must be true to undergird Mm -hmm. it, right? So over time, a number of researchers had found that the micro issues undergirding his macro principle, when you put them to the test uh, in studies, they didn't pan out. The problem was by that time, he and his Confederates wielded so much power in the nutritional research industry that if anybody went public, they were done. No more grants, no prestigious jobs. You weren't, whatever job you held at that time, that was probably as far as you were ever going to go because you spoke against Ansel Keys. Okay. Um, You probably saw the video of, is he the former VP of Pfizer, their research division, where Uh he says that, Many of his peers agree with him, but when he said, then join me, speak out, they said, no, because we're done as a scientist if we tell the truth. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. About our, that's about our current situation that we're not going to go into details about, but it's really disturbing that there are so many researchers and doctors who, and nurses who are risking losing their jobs or losing their jobs because they're, they're speaking truth against a certain narrative. And it sounds like the same thing has gone on in the nutrition industry. May I drop a little truth about the vaccine, provided that I phrase it in a way that won't get you or your station in trouble? You just, well, you just said the V word. So let's let's pass on that. Okay. Okay. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really sensitive to keeping this show up in places. Sure. Then let me and, just share with um, your audience. If they go to my YouTube channel, uh-huh. Um, there are the thumbnails, some of them actually say like third installment, fourth installment and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, because I've been doing a series on the vaccines and okay. YouTube has not taken anything of mine down, uh-huh. uh, because they are buttressed with massive amounts of evidence. And then I always say, so it appears to me that, yeah, right. Because if you declare it to be true, then they'll take it down. Yeah, I, I think that um, <clears throat> you've been very lucky. <laughs> so let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but folks, just so you know, uh, up on the Academy of Divine Science, if you get up there, um, I've got censored interview that's up there. And if you decide that you want to get up there and, and um, you know, listen to the various interviews, you get all these different teachers and presenters and, and get to um, learn everything about, you know, and all these things about spirituality to UFOs to health and well-being. Um, you, you can sign up. It's, it's a subscription-based service. If you put in my last name, Upchurch, you'll get 10% off. Just, uh, I meant to mention that in the beginning of the show. But and anyway, I would, yes, I would you like have to, to go to platforms. <clears throat> you have to go to platforms that aren't going to be censored in order to find your way to truth most times these days. I would like to make one statement of principle that does not involve science. Um, to make a well-informed decision <clears throat> about whether a per- 
particular substance at a particular time in history that is addressing a particular pathogen to make an informed decision as to whether that course of action is um, in your best interest or not in your best interest uh-huh. is not being anti-vax. Oh, absolutely. I, I just want to be very, you know, I, oh, yeah. you, you know how the, the narrative on the other side goes, right? right. If, if you say this thing is not, I don't deem this after, after, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of research, I don't deem this in my best interest. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, what the other side brands you. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And, and, uh, <clears throat> but that's, <laughs> you, we digress. <laughs> okay. So what about the, the Framingham heart study? Because I used to live in Massachusetts when that was underway years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's been a lot of stuff that has um, been talked about as truth based on that. And I've also heard that the truth was never released or it wasn't released from there properly. Do you have perspective on what they found about heart disease on the, uh, the Framingham heart study yes. and how that was Frame- done? Okay. So I, I guess we should tell the audience that in a study like this, it w- tends to indicate either that <clears throat> something is not so, it is, um, it cannot tell us whether it is so or not, mm-hmm. or it tells us that something appears to be so. And okay? Th- those, those, that's right. the, the variance. Okay. So uh-huh. Framingham was inconclusive on dietary fat and heart disease. Okay. I think the important thing about Framingham and the fact that it was inconclusive is that based on the narrative up until the conclusion of Framingham, it should have been a slam dunk that dietary fat was confirmed by the study to result in heart disease. It should have been, if the narrative was true, a slam dunk. Sure. It turned out to, it turned out to be inconclusive mm-hmm. as far as Framingham. Right. And, and as a statistician, you basically, if you design a study well, you design it so that there are lots and lots of subjects so that you have a very small risk of saying, we don't detect a difference here, when in fact there is a difference. So basically a huge study like that, if, they, if it was inconclusive, then um, you, know, you can assume that there really isn't a, an aspect of dietary fat that was increasing your risk of heart disease. So sure, exactly is, so. Yeah. And, what about you know, what about cholesterol? What about what about cholesterol? it? What um, about it specifically? It, is it bad? Is elevated cholesterol a problem? Okay. So now we need to enter a discussion in of ketosis. Okay. okay. Are you, you're familiar with that? Yes. Okay. For the sake of the audience, ketosis. There's only two hemispheres of how you can fuel your cells. Glucosis, which is a name I had to make up in body science, because in all of scientific history, the system of fueling your cells where they use glucose uh-huh. was never named it was i didn't realize that because it made perfect sense when i was reading it in your book yeah so okay so there's two the southern and northern hemisphere there is no third hemisphere it's either glucosis or ketosis so <sighs> glucosis um the the again establishment narrative is glucose is the intended fuel for our cells. It's how our bodies were intended, um, whether people want to consider to a designer evolution, whatever, they're intended to function by fueling through glucose. Okay. That is an absolute fabrication. That, that, that is like everybody owes the income tax. It's like dietary fat causes heart disease. It's a complete fabrication. Huh. In fact, 
when you when you live in glucosis, the only reason the cells are burning glucose is to get the glucose out of your system. Okay, there's a baseline of glucose, baseline of glucose that's used for definitely to arguably three things in the body. Okay, in trivial amounts, right? But there's a baseline, so it's always available. Anything over baseline is considered poisoned by the body. So when you when people eat, say, the standard American diet, <clears throat> and their uh, blood glucose is consistently high, uh, the body has several mechanisms to get rid of that. I describe that as the hepatic lipid system uh, in the book. I had to give that a name too because that from from point one to point one hundred, th this whole sequence of events, science had never named that. So I, I had to again give it a name so people could talk about it, right? So, but the hepatic lipid system has its the, the liver has its limits on how to cope with excess glucose, uh -huh. but we have, but our hundred trillion cells, each one of them is an incinerator. So what the body does is it says, we got to get rid of this glucose and it shoves the glucose into the cells and the glue, the, the, the mitochondria oxidizes it, burns it for energy. And, and that is considered normal when in fact, it's like using an incinerator to burn the trash. Okay. The mm -hmm. other hemisphere is ketosis, in which the body runs almost predominantly on fatty acids and to a lesser extent ketone bodies. The brain almost exclusively ketones at that point. Uh -huh. So back to your question about cholesterol, now that we have this framework. When you are keeping the 100 trillion cells of your body in a toxic state by forcing them to incinerate garbage every single day, all day long, high cholesterol is a problem. <laughs> Um, because it's, it's being produced to try and solve an unsolvable problem. Okay. You're poisoning yourself every single day, living in glucoses and cholesterol is actually a healing. You wouldn't know this to listen to the mainstream narrative. It's actually a healing substance. Right. So, but <clears throat> what happens is the more sick you, your cells become, and I want to clarify the cells, you know, that, that eventually manifests itself in things like heart disease and type 2 diabetes and hypertension and, and insulin resistance and all of that, right? Uh -huh. Those are the eventual manifestations we apply a medical name to. But the bottom line is <clears throat> we're poisoning all 100 trillion cells of our body every single day. Now, when you stop doing that, and you move into ketosis, where now the cells are burning what they were originally intended to burn, which is fatty acids. Okay, there's no, there's no, there's no residue. There's no junk. They're no longer incinerating garbage. They're incinerating. Um, we'll say like a jet consumes jet fuel, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they're they're running now with that sort of efficiency, and there's no. That's why people in ketosis, their inflation, their inflation, their inflammatory numbers are virtually zero. They're, they bottom okay. out, right? Their body has okay. virtually no inflammation. You know the consequences of inflammation. Right. So then what happened when you have high cholesterol there, uh, which there's a certain class of people who live in ketosis called lean mass hyperresponders, a term created by Dave Feldman. Um, they have extremely high LDL cholesterol, um, but their VLDL or their remnant cholesterol is very, very low. And VLDL is really remnant cholesterol is really what it's all about. So there are literally huh. people who are incredibly healthy. Their remnant cholesterol is down at like 11, 10, 13, 14, which is incredibly healthful, but their LDL is like 700. Okay. Wow. Yes. Now, obviously that that's the, an extreme profile, but the point is they're incredibly healthy. One of the things I say in body science, <clears throat> when living in ketosis, so your body's functioning as designed, 
-hmm. It does not produce anything that harms you or kills you. And in it, or, or in any quantities that harms you or kills you. It does that in glucosis because it's struggling so badly. It's thrashing around trying to find a solution. When you're in ketosis and your body's humming along, it's happy, it's satisfied, it's completely healthy, then what it produces and in the quantities it produces, it never harms itself. Okay, so we're, we're just about out of time. Um, and I think in terms of how we've evolved from hunter-gatherer societies, um, how, in a really short nutshell, how does this relate to dietary choices? First of all, the difference between being in glucosis and being in ketosis, which hemisphere you want to be in, is 100% about what you put in your mouth. Okay. It's, it's all about carbohydrate intake. Um, for instance, I, have, I eat about as many carbs in a 24-hour period as most people eat in one or two bites of lunch. Okay. okay. Um, that, I've been in ketosis for years now. Mm -hmm. um, I've for the last 20 months, uh, carnivore. Okay. Uh, the, the benefits have been, if I use the word astounding, I'm not exaggerating or, or being rhetorical. It, it is the, the difference has been going into ketosis and then choosing to go into carnivore. This has been an astounding progression of benefits. Okay. So let me ask you this quick question for, for those who, want to avoid eating animals. Okay. Is there a way to get into ketosis? Yes. Um, a person can live in ketosis without animal source. It's challenging because the, for instance, obviously, you know, protein, amino acids, amino acid peptides are used for the healing part of our body. Uh -huh. It's really hard to get the right balance. Our bodies are genetically coded for animal flesh. So Absent animal flesh, it's really hard to get the correct balance of the type of amino. There's 23 amino acids. It's difficult to get the right balance, to get them all, and to get the right balance when you exclude animal flesh. But yes, it is possible. And there's lots of information on the web about that. Okay. Yeah. And this is very different than another interview I did with um, another expert, but it's, um, it's, it's fascinating. And again, his book is entitled Body Science. And I love it. Thank you for reading called, a subtitle earlier, by the way. That was very nice. Yeah. And a reality book, a DR reality book. Dr. Reality. That's the brand. Dr. Reality. A Dr. Reality. Yeah. Reality. Imagine that. <laughs> Speaking <the> truth. <laughs> Dave, I want to thank you for being here today. And I want to thank you for having the courage and the drive to explore truth wherever that leads you, because we need more of people like you on our planet today. So thank Can you. Can I mention the website before we go? Absolutely, please do. drreality.news. drreality.news. Okay, all of yeah. my print work is available there. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you all for joining us here today. I look forward to talking to you on our next show. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.